You know, as Elaine was just saying about questions answered, I just felt so strong in my spirit that there are so many of us that stay at a certain distance in our journey of faith because we just get to a point and we're like, well, this doesn't make sense. I got a question about that. I don't understand that. I've got questions about what I'm seeing over here. And without knowing it, there's like a pause button that gets pushed on our journey of faith when there's a question that arises that we feel like is substantial enough that it allows us to say, I'm good at this point, but I got questions about what comes next. And I just felt to encourage you this morning that in the kingdom that we're in as believers, it's called the kingdom of faiths. Faith's the currency of this kingdom. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so without faith, you're going to feel a certain separation from him because he's not pleased when he knows what's in you and what's available to you, but he sees you at a safe distance saying, I got some questions. I think I'll just stop here. That's where your faith stops. And in the kingdom of heaven, you don't always get the privilege of an answered question. Sometimes you have to believe first. And it's in that faith, in that act of faith, and saying, God, I don't know the answer to this, and it's confusing to me, but I know that you're good. I believe in you. I believe in what your word says. And you begin to say the things that you do believe. And you begin to exercise and stand on the stuff that you know to be true. And you say, okay, I'm going to take that by faith. And when you do that, heaven is released to you. The power, and well, this is just personal for me. A lot of times what I've discovered is those questions that I thought I needed answered so that I could go forward are suddenly, I'm like, what was that even? I can't even remember some of them. Because the goodness that's exposed of the Lord to you when you're hungry and thirsty for more of him, a deeper, closer walk with him, it kind of just makes the things that would prevent you from getting into any closer proximity to him, it just makes those things so, you almost have disdain for them. And people say, oh, well, you know, it's more than just blind faith. And I agree. I'm a scientist by training. I'm a person that believes that God has reasons and there's logic and you can find him through a logical, rational approach by just looking at what he made, realizing that it was designed, that there's a fingerprint on everything that you look into creation and see and they are all his. But there's always points once you've come to that place that he will still require, hey, do you believe me? And if we say yes, he's going to say, well, do you trust me? And if we say yes, we're, he, we're, he's going to say, okay, then take that step. Do it by faith. Go to the next level of what he's asking you for by faith. Forgive that person that you feel like you can't. Do it by faith. Don't do it because it suddenly makes sense to do it. Just do it because he said that that's what we're supposed to do. Obedience is so much better than having an answered question. And sometimes the answers come, thankfully. But when they do come, we realize, wow, it really wasn't worth holding me back at this place. I don't know why it's, it's got me choked up because I know that that's a lot of my testimony. I had questions. I'm like, yeah. Questions can lead to skepticism, can lead to cynicism, can lead to becoming someone who scoffs and who mocks and who stays at a, at a safe distance. And God's calling us close. These days that we're in, he needs us close. If you're not close, you're not going to 
I won't say that. If you're not close, you'll be easy prey. For the spirit that works in this world is of doubt and confusion, fear. But when you're close and you're in his hand, no one's taking you. He's promised that. He said, no one's taking anybody out of my father's hand. And so I feel like this is a time when we've got to just recognize this, this idea of being close to him, this idea of being hungry for him, this idea that we're thirsty for him, that we want more of him. That's your choice. If you're full of the things of this world, chances are you may not have that appetite. But when you realize that he's good and you taste and you see that he's good, it's amazing how much you can grow in your faith regardless of whether you get the questions answered or not. Because he's the answer. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the ultimate answer to everything. When we need answers, we actually just need the answer, which is Jesus. So I want to encourage you. I just felt that that connection to what Elaine was sharing, that he's the answer. And when you have him, the little questions, they just don't seem to keep you back anymore. And so I hope that encourages someone this morning. I do have a message that I want to share. We're going to receive communion. Hopefully everyone got a little communion cup. Somewhere near the end, we'll receive that. Uh, but before I share what I want to share, I want to just remind us all, I think most of us know that uh, Pastor David and Nolia and Lois are over in Asia. They're moving around so much, I can't keep track. I think now they're in Vietnam for a couple weeks, um, and they're, they're just doing amazing things. If you're on Facebook, you see some of the pictures and videos and testimonies of how God's using them, and uh, just pray to continue to see God's safety over them, to continue to see lives changed and uh, miracles happening, and uh, I just love the way that God has blessed this fellowship with such a range of leadership, that we do have prophetic gifting in the house. We've got the evangelist gifting. We have, you know, the pastoral anointing is here, very strong, and it's just beautiful to see people going out and doing, you know, that, that call to go. When, when you're, I don't know, when I'm in my 70s, well, we'll see what God has. I'll have to be obedient, but I just can't see it with my natural understanding how you're, you know, going 16-hour flights with a knee brace on and, you know, some back problems, and uh, just God bless them. God bless the fact that there's something in there. There's a fire that just won't go out. There's a passion to see people touched by the power of God. And I just hope that we're all, you know, whatever we do or don't understand, I pray that we can pray into these things. Because when you pray into and you just release blessing towards somebody and there's a harvest, there's a, there's a, there's a bit of a understanding that can come to you by the Holy Spirit. Because it's the same spirit that works through all these offices, all these gifts. And they seem sometimes so different, it's hard to see the connection. But the Holy Spirit uses it all for his glory. And so I just want to keep them and make sure that you keep them in your prayers. And uh, before I go on with my message, there was an announcement from Brianna Hardy. Would you mind just sharing quickly? I feel like it's so important for us just to know what the Lord is leading our members to be doing and to be uh, encouraging others with. I turn, it's, you're on there. You're good. It's upstairs. Nobody home in the nest. It's up there. Okay, here we go. Can you hear me now? Okay, so what Josh was just saying about being at a standstill, I feel like that was me about a year ago, and I decided to participate in the fast, and it was the first time I had ever done it with the church, and in that time, I also fasted Facebook, 
And when I went back on Facebook, the first ad that popped up was an organization called Revelation Wellness. And I clicked on it and felt called to go through this training. And in May, I graduated as a fitness teacher, gospel preacher. And it has been on my heart to start classes. It has been on my heart to start classes um, with our church family, with outside reaching women and children. Um, in the fall, I also got certified to teach children as well. Um, and it's just something that I've had a desire. I've always been passionate about health and fitness. And I've had such a desire to just go forth. And I kept asking the Lord to show me what his plan was for me. And in that fasting time last year, he showed me that this was his plan. And for the past year, I've been praying for him to open doors. Um, and he has done so much work in my own heart as well as my family over the past year. And this Thursday, I will be teaching my first class um, at the... It's, I'm going to forget the details, so I'm going to pull up my notes that I ignored till now. Um, sorry, Josh only gave me two minutes. I could probably be up here for like an hour, but two <laughs> minutes is good to start. Um, so this Thursday, the 25th at 9.30 a.m. at the Morning Star Christian Fellowship over on East Chester Street. Um, I'll be holding my first class for women of all ages. We'll have plenty of modifications and plenty of getting your heart rate up and I'll be given a little message and just an awesome time for fellowship and moving our bodies um, and I'm just praying that it grows from there so if you feel called and you're available at that time I hope to see you there and I'll be sharing more at a future time thank you awesome awesome job thank you Jesus just to also make sure it's clear, there's, it's, it's a ministry. It's exercise and it's women getting together, but there's a very clear um, vision in what she's doing to see people healed emotionally at a soul level. It's not just getting your body well, but it's getting the whole body in alignment with God's word and God's truth. And so it's an overall fitness program, and that's why we so quickly got behind what she was doing when she had come to us about a year ago now, and just so excited. And we're just so grateful that the Lord uses people and he'll just plant seed in your heart and sometimes it just grows into something that's really going to touch a lot of lives and we're believing that for uh for brianna and for what god's called her to do and so i i have a message that i want to bring in it, I, whenever i'm preparing a message i usually have a sense as i'm preparing it like yeah i'm going to preach this. i'm just going to i could just feel like i want to preach this thing and I didn't have that, so I don't know if this will come across as a teaching or if I'll get pulled in, and next thing you know, I'll be preaching my heart out, um, but I appreciate your prayers. Uh, January has been a strange month uh, to this point. Um, the fast started, and, and um, so I've been fasting and then uh, fluing. I don't know. I just came up with that word. I've been fasting and fluing, um, whatever that. Uh, I like making new words. It kind of just makes more sense than saying battling the flu. No, I was fluing. Um, for a little over a week, and uh, so it, I'm, I heard people talk about brain fog, didn't ever really think I'd experience that, my wife may disagree, maybe she thinks I have it more regularly than I think I do, but uh, definitely had some brain fog, had some situations just feeling like, not myself, didn't feel like myself, and I appreciate the prayers, I know I had a few brothers reaching out and some sisters as well, just reaching out uh, in, in the Lord's brothers and sisters in Christ, just uh, making sure I knew I was being prayed for, and I so appreciated the prayer last Sunday. Uh, Pastor Jared shared 
and I invited you all to pray for, uh, for me specifically. It meant a lot. And um, I actually stood up off the couch as I was watching live, and I just raised my hands. I said, I'm taking, I want all that. I feel, I'm just taking it all in. And I do feel so much better, and I appreciate that. I so, so appreciate that. But I tell you, it was a time where I got the old paper, just felt to take out the old paper Bible as I've been doing fasting and, and uh, just get back into some of the pages, seeing some old notes that I had made and just realizing that um, there's so much less opportunity for distraction that way. And I had already started doing that. And then Jared mentioned, you know, we've got to get back and make sure we're carrying our Bibles, that we know where things are in the Bible, that we know where to turn to be able to show somebody truth. And, and uh, so I just appreciated uh, the message shared. And I... Um, I guess I'll just start with this. During the time of, of not feeling well, I figured, well, I can't do anything. I, I, the couch and being in bed just bugs me to no end. I'm not, that, I'm not that person that's like, oh, good, I'm not feeling well. I'll just lay in bed for a few days and watch TV. I don't watch TV from my bed. Um, and I just, just was dealing with that frustration that comes when there's so much to do. I mean, there's just so much to be done. Um, practical, mostly. If you know me, I'm, a, I'm blue collar. I I work with my own hands. I do most of my own work, whether it's maintaining our own houses that we have or just properties and things like that. And so it's very frustrating to sit there and realize, all right, you're, you're kind of helpless. You get up and walk to the bathroom and you're out of breath. Like, that's just a weird thing for me. Like, that's not, like I said, it's not me. I felt like I was outside of who I'm supposed to be for a couple of weeks. And it was, it was a time for reflection. It was a time for being in the Word. And I just committed myself to be in the, in the written Word, just reading through uh, passages you know, chapters in a row, and it just, I felt there was a big shift that happened. Something happened to me spiritually. I don't know what, I can't put a, a finger on it, but I just know something has changed. I know I'm not the same person that I was January 2nd, and in a good way, in, in a good way. And I, you know, I'm, there's less of me. There's about 15 or 16 pounds less of me, so that's always a good benefit too, I suppose. Um, but during that time, I was like, it was, I was kind of, I felt like I was on the mend, you know, still sweats and fever at night. And, but during the day, I felt pretty good. And this, I, you know, so when you're sitting there and you're looking on your phone, our family's been desperate to get a, a replacement puppy for the one that we had had. And he moved out. And uh, so now we were left with this void in our family. And so we're looking and families, you know, if you, when it comes to a puppy and you got children involved and a wife involved, like if you don't, there's a point where if you don't stay in front, they're just going to roll past you. Next thing you know, you're going to hear a bark when you wake up in the morning, and you're going to be introduced to a strange dog you had nothing to do with picking. And so I said, all right, I'm going to have to get involved here. And so I began looking myself, and um, you know, wouldn't you know, the dog that I saw that I thought was, was pretty cool, he was in West Virginia, which is eight and a half hours away. And so, uh, but yeah, we went. And um, so we're, we're, got, we're in the car. My wife drove the whole way. I wasn't up to driving. Uh, during that time, but bundled up, and we're going down there, and, and so we rescued these two puppies from a, from a uh, humane society shelter uh, for dogs, and uh, there was a word that the lady used when I was on the phone with her, just getting some information about the only, we only knew of one, and then on the drive down, a picture comes to my phone saying, hey, by the way, we do have his brother, and um, he's also <laughs> incredibly cute, there's some sort of terrier lab mix, the best they could guess, and uh, she said, you know, five of them came in, and these are the only two that survived. They came in around 11 weeks, and they had them at like 14 weeks when they were putting pictures up. Finally, the vet cleared them for adoption, and, you know, they were finally up to body weight, and they felt like they would be, you know, adoptable. But three of them had died, this, this, and she, she used this term. She said they were severely, severely neglected, and I thought, isn't it just 
stuck in my head. I kept hearing it. Usually when that happens to me, I start to think, all right, maybe there's something here I'm supposed to look into. And uh, that's how God speaks to me sometimes. Just something will be said by somebody. I'll read something and it just kind of like catches me and I think about it. And so I just want to share this morning about this idea of neglect. Uh, we'll get as far as we can and we'll leave time for communion at the end. And, uh, maybe we'll pick up where, wherever we leave off next week. But this idea of neglect is an interesting one because it's actually not something, it, it's a verb, okay? So to, to neglect is to do something, but it's actually to not do something. Does that make sense? To neglect is an action, but it's actually a non-action. And uh, it's an inter- it, it, it can mess with your head a little bit. And so I just said, let's start with definition. Let's go and, and see what the dictionary has to say. And so as a verb, uh, it's, there's a few things. Fail, failure to care for properly and to maintain. An example was the old mansion has been sadly neglected. Another uh, couple words, to leave alone, to abandon, to forsake, to not pay proper attention to, to disregard. Uh, For example, he neglected to write her back. It's the action of not taking proper action. The action of not taking proper care of someone or something. For example, she was accused of child neglect. It's a failure to do something. For example, he was reported for neglect of duty. As a noun, it's the state or fact of being uncared for, animals dying through lack of care or neglect. And so I'll read some scriptures and we'll make a spiritual application here. But the actual word neglect is is a Latin origin based on how we use it. The first part uh, N-E-G, neg, is not, and legere is choose or pick up. So essentially to neglect is to, is to not choose or to not pick up, to not select, to not do something. It's a non-action, action word. And it's one of those things that, you know, in, in, in a spiritual sense, in a relationship with God sense, I know there's there's a lot of folks who maybe pride themselves in or measure themselves in their success based on how long they have not done something. And that's great. As long as God gets glory for your story, then absolutely the things he has set us free from are super important. But I can promise you one thing. Our salvation is not just limited to what we no longer do. To be saved and to be following the Lord, as was so clearly laid out in the class this morning, uh, upstairs, I don't have the privilege of being in two places at once. I don't quite I haven't evolved to that spiritual place yet. Um, be careful if I say that I have, because I'm probably off my rocker. But um, I was upstairs this morning, and we heard so clearly that the Lord has given us so many green lights in, in this time and season that's in front of us. There are things that need to be done. There are places we have to go. There are people that have to hear. And uh, it's a season of action, the season of red lights. And like, well, I'm not sure. And I've got a question about that. These things have to go back burner because there's a mission at hand and the time's running out and a work has to be accomplished that it's going to fall on the church to accomplish it. The world can't fix the world's problems. It's never been able to. A political movement will not fix the reality that we find ourselves in. We are in a moral, depraved, spiritual decay state as a country, as a world. Not in just, there are things that are better on one side or the other. I get that. But the reality is, people who don't know Christ are going to be separated from him for eternity. That's what God is concerned about. And I just want to encourage us this morning, as we look forward to what the word has to say about the subject, that there are things we need to do 
It's wonderful there are things that we are not doing. If you're fasting, you know the battle that goes on. When whatever you choose to fast, that's the thing you're going to want to have. It's the nature of telling your body what it's going to do instead of your body telling you what you're going to do for it. And it's not comfortable. It's challenging. But that's where you grow. That's where there are things that happen in you that are outside of your control. They're the spirit at work in you. And I want to encourage you. Uh, there are things that must not be done. But what I'm going to emphasize this morning is that there are things that need to be done. There are realities that as believers we are responsible for that if we don't pick up the slack, if we don't choose to pick up and choose to be involved, then we're in a bad place. And I want to say this. Uh, I'll, I'll read this scripture in Matthew 23, verse 23. I'm going to have to run through these. I'm sorry, you're probably not going to have time to turn to all of them. For those of you that did bring your Bible, that's great. Um, you can always jot some of these things down. That's probably how it's going to need to work this morning. But Matthew 23, 23 says this. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, woe to you. He's warning them. He's like, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, the herbs that they would harvest. They would bring that proper amount in. And he said, you've done these things, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. That justice and mercy and faith, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Pleasing God and living successfully in the kingdom requires that we give attention to all the instructions that we have, not just the ones that are easy for us or that happen to suit the way that we want the kingdom to suit our lives. To come to Christ is not to come uh, to, to, a, to, an, to an, a better you or a, an improved you. It's to come to a brand new you that is now born again of a different spirit by a different seed, by a different power, and to submit to that. For Christ to be Lord is very different than for Christ to be Savior. And there's a growth that has to happen in all of us if we're to mature into what we're going to need to mature into to be able to stand in these last days and to be not just surviving but thriving and to be a light in the darkness that's, that's upon us. And so I want to just look at a couple practical examples of neglect or negligence in, in the sense of material things. You can think of a car. You know, we all know that we've got to keep the fuel in the car. That's a, it's, I don't know if you can call that maintenance, but if you don't put fuel in the car, it's going to run out, and that's bad for the car. So I guess you could say putting fuel in the car is a way that you maintain it. But then beyond that, there's, there's some things that aren't so obvious, like oil changing, like checking your fluids, your power steering fluid, your transmission fluid, your windshield wiper fluid, and the salt that's out there on the roads. Now, if you don't check these things, you're going to find yourself in a place of being in trouble simply because there was neglect in keeping up with the maintenance that's required when you're operating something that's mechanical, like a car, tire pressure, and, and keeping track of you know, the rotation, all these things are important because things will keep working for a while, but just because they work now does not mean they're going to keep working. And I think that's part of what I'm coming to a revelation of in my early 50s and in this month of January during this season of just being hit with something that reminded me that I'm human and I'm not uh, invincible, is, is that there, there's things that have to be considered. There's maintenance realities to our lives that if we just ignore them, things might have worked to a point, but without proper maintenance, you're going to shorten how far that car was supposed to go. Just by simply not checking on basic things, and especially, I think, for those of us as we're aging, we realize that there are, these things are more important than ever. And so I want to encourage us this morning it, uh, don't just assume that because something's working, I think we fall into this trap even in, in running meetings here at the church. Like, oh, we got a good system going. The children are doing good. Things are good. And we stop listening for what's the next thing? What's the bigger thing? What's the more uh, intimate thing that God has for us? What's the place he has in his heart prepared that allows us to see a kingdom that's beyond what we've seen so far? 
Because you can keep going into this kingdom. There's no, God's inexhaustible. You, you can't know all of God. I, I, haven't, I feel like I, the more I know him, the more I realize I haven't even scratched the surface of who he really is. The capacity that he has to transform lives, people, impossible people to touch their hearts, the things that we can pray into that we wouldn't normally pray into if we didn't realize the power and the amount of love that he has for this world and for the people that are here on the planet. And so, you know, you can think about a house, you can think about um, the yard getting overgrown, the gutters getting plugged, the paint peeling on a house. And in Ecclesiastes 10.18, the Bible says this, because of laziness, the building decays. And through idleness of hands, the house begins to leak. You see, there's wisdom in understanding that things don't just stay static. They're either growing or they're dying. There's no plateaus in this walk of faith. If you're not advancing, if you're not growing in the hunger for spending time with him in the word and, and, and ministering to people, if, if there's not an increase, you're not just plateaued. You might think this like, oh, I'm just going to pause here until I get my questions answered, but I promise you, you're sliding backwards. I promise you, and we're going to read a scripture that speaks very clearly to that in a minute. In human relationships with our children, children can be neglected. There's been times in my life where I know I've been too busy for my children. In hindsight, it's easy to see. I mean, you can look back and realize, man, you know, when's the last time I really just sat down and had a hard heart? And I've apologized for those things. I've sat before the Lord and had tears and just said, how did it get to the point where the things of this life seem so important that my own children had to take back burner? The insanity of that is just so overwhelming that something could be more important than your own offspring, than your own marriage. And yet the things of life that seem to command our attention, a lot of times they just feel like, well, they've got to be done. There's no avoiding them. Maybe it's true, but maybe we pile things up more than we need to. That's certainly my case. Proverbs 13, 24 is very clear. It doesn't take much to neglect a child. It says, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. You know, undisciplined children is a sign of neglect to the parents, that that is a sin that they are committing just by failing to do something for the child that the child needs to survive in a world that's in the condition that it's in. You see it, it breaks your heart. In terms of relationships, marriage relationships, if, you, huh, if you're not invested in sacrificially learning about your spouse, you're not going to make it very far. Because if you're not growing closer, you will grow apart. This is a principle I'm seeing so clearly, and I'm seeing it in Scripture. If you, people think disrespect is like, oh, you know, said something they shouldn't have said. And that's true. Those are pretty easy. It's pretty easy usually to know when... As a husband, especially, if you've said something disrespectful, I'm not sure who um, you're married to, but that's usually pretty quick to get thrown back in your face. I don't know. My wife doesn't take disrespect, and I hope that no one that you're in a relationship with, whether it's a friend or a spouse or whatever, I hope that they don't take disrespect from you, and I hope they're strong enough to throw it back in your face because disrespect is intolerable. And yet, how about personal avoidance? How about just being like, I'm just going to keep my distance? Is that disrespect? You know, when marriages finally fail, when relationships finally drift apart, whether it's friendship or marriage, whatever, it's lack of communication that is the top reason for that. It's that, you know what, I just don't feel like talking about this anymore. I'm done talking. That is neglect. 
It's a non-action, and yet it's neglect. It is an action. It's still a verb. We've got to be committed to one another. This applies not just in marriage. It applies within the body. When you have an offense or someone says something you don't understand or you don't like the way they looked at you or talked to someone uh, that you know, that you heard about, they talked this way, if you're not diligent to get to the bottom of those things and to, and to just find out how, what's my part in this, what can I apologize for, where did I contribute to this, if you're not committed to doing something, I can guarantee Offense will come in and you will be split off. The damage will happen by your non-action. People are like, oh, I just don't want to deal. You better deal with it. And I'm just feeling like this is a year where we're going to have to deal with some things, not just uh, at an individual level, but at a national level. There are going to be things that finally come to the surface that are going to be needing to be dealt with by people of courage, by people of faith, by people of, yeah, not on my watch. And I want to encourage you in that. Get strong in your faith because we don't, live in easy times any longer. But we have to do more than just say, I'm not going to talk to that person anymore. It's not acceptable. You might feel like that's the safe thing to do, but I can promise you it's neglect. The way Matthew 18 shows it, it's neglect if you fail to go to someone who hurt you. Don't, go, don't tell someone else about it if you haven't gone to them first and say, hey, you hurt me. If you don't do that, you are in neglect. You are in sin. And I just want to be as, as blunt as I can because I want some of these thoughts uh, to resonate with us. How about a book that somebody gave to you and you don't read it? Well, I can think of a good book. I love what Jared said last week. He said, God's word's Jesus written down. I don't know if anybody heard that. You ought to write that down. God's word is Jesus written down. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. Nothing was made. Word became flesh in the book of John. Jesus is the word and he's preserved what he's said. The things that are core and key to us growing in him have been recorded. There's never going to be an excuse for us to not grow in the knowledge of Christ just based on what he's given us in this holy scripture. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 14 through 15, there's an example of a gift. He says, in, he says do not neglect the gift that's in you. Don't neglect it. In other words, don't not do something with it. He wouldn't say don't neglect the gift that's within you if it wasn't possible for Timothy to neglect it. What does it take to neglect something? Just don't do anything with it. Get busy with something else and ignore the gift. And he says, don't do that. It was given to you by the prophecy and the laying out of hands of the eldership. He says, therefore, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress can be evident to all. There's something about neglect that is very clear. It's evident when someone's being neglected. If your home is being neglected, it's evident. It's, it's objectively measurable evidence. You can see it. You can see it on the countenance of someone. You can see it in a pet that's neglected. They're, they're narrow. Their bones are usually showing. They're just drooling. They're, some, they're sick. They're not cared for. They're neglected. Neglect is a visible, measurable condition that we can find ourselves in. We can find our surroundings in. And Paul writes to Timothy, says, don't neglect the gift that's in you. Don't ignore it. Don't overlook it. Don't forget that it's there. Because if you do, and he's in the positive sense, he says, when you give yourself entirely to it and you exercise it and you meditate on the goodness that's within you, he said, your, prog your progress will be evident to all. The Lord needs our progress to be evident to a lost and dying world. No one else can show him the way. I don't know how this has become so plain to me, but there is no one else that can show the world the way other than those that know the way to truth and the way to Jesus Christ. Amen. So the main scripture I want to touch on before we receive communion is Hebrews chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 4. I'll read the New King James Version. 
And the writer of Hebrews makes a very just, if, you, if you've never read the book of Hebrews, I would encourage you to read it. You might have some questions when you get to the end of it and text me, give me a call, Facebook messenger me, and uh, we'll have a conversation about it. It's no problem. Or I'll pass it off to Pastor Rich, who'll have a better answer than I probably will. In verse 1, it says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. In the Passion Translation, it says, This is why it's so crucial that we be all the more engaged and attentive to the truths that we have already heard, so that we do not drift off course. Folks, if you are not paying attention to what's been given to you in your gift, free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. The word of God says that you will drift away. There is no drifting towards God. It's not scriptural to drift towards goodness. It is scriptural to drift away. How? By not doing anything. He doesn't say there's sin involved here. He says, be careful. Don't start sinning again. because you're gonna. He says, no. You have to give more earnest heed. Pay closer attention. Begin to meditate on these things. Begin to give yourself fully to them or you're going to drift away. Verse 2 says this, For if the word spoken through uh, angels, which simply means God's messengers, John the Baptist was called an angel and used the same word for angel, through God, Moses, etc., and angelic hosts as well. For if the word spoken through God's messengers proved steadfast, and every transgression of, and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? That's a real question. What grounds will we have to escape the justice of God, which is promised to all lawbreakers? I don't know about you, but I don't get every law right 24 hours of every single day. And if I got the, the don't do these things laws right, I'm sure I don't get the do this, do this, do this, be, a, be strong, be of good courage, go and pray for everybody that you see and raise them from the dead. I, I certainly am omitting some things. And my faith is not where Jesus' faith was. And therefore, I have lack compared to who Christ is, who is my standard for what is perfect and what is holy. And therefore, I have to recognize that there, is, there are things that I need daily, continuous Awareness in my heart and humility of heart to know that God's mercy and grace is providing for the distance between where I'm at and where he needs me to be at. And it's a full reliance on his grace. It's not about your works. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But if you're not committed and devoted to this understanding of taking the salvation you've received and meditating, dwelling on it, applying it, rereading it, doing whatever it takes from Scripture to solidify it in your heart, then you will drift away and you will thereby neglect, not make the most of, not choose, not pick up, not bring to full possession the very thing that God guarantees will save you from the wrath to come. And then he goes on to say this. Well, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. It's a question. He's asking them to consider this. How can we escape what we know is coming on this world 
if we have the greatest rescue plan ever given, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we look at it, we hear it, we say, yeah, I, I, I like that, I believe in that, I'd like a meal ticket to the marriage supper of the Lamb, but then we just walk away from it and go on and neglect what was given. It's a, challenge, it's a challenging word, I understand that. I like the way the Passion Translation also says in verse 2, For the message of the law spoken and confirmed by angels brought a just penalty to every disobedient violation. Then how would we expect to escape punishment if we despise the very truths that give us life? The Lord himself was the first to announce these things, and those who heard him firsthand confirmed their accuracy. And so I want to look quickly at a couple of the mindsets and the habits, the things that I think contribute to our neglecting this salvation. James 4.17 says this, says, Therefore to him who, do, who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. What does that mean? Yeah, I know I should care. I know I should pay attention. I know I should be in the word. I know I should be in prayer. I know I should be uh, calling this person and asking for forgiveness, but uh, maybe later. I'll do it later. Do you know I'll do it later? That procrastination thing is, is probably one of the greatest nails in the coffin of faith. Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed later. And, and the, the rot and the problem that continues in our life because we're not quick to act on what God shows us to act upon just makes it harder to do. There's nothing that's going to be easier to do later. It gets harder the longer we wait for some of these realities. But Jesus is saying, if you know to do good and you don't do it, he considers it sin. He considers it neglect. You know, busyness. We're all busy. Jesus was busy too. I remember when he said to his parents, I must be about my father's business. We're all going to be busy with something, but whose business do we prioritize? Our own or the Lord's? The business of the kingdom. Jesus said he came to destroy the business or the works of the evil one. Are we engaged in that? In our prayers, in, in, in what we're sharing with our friends, or are we just kind of sucked into it? Another big thing that I've watched cause uh, neglect in people's lives is a depressed mindset where you've kind of lost hope. Maybe you didn't lose all hope, but you lost enough hope to where you're no longer advancing with confidence and boldness. You're no longer believing for the next great thing that God has. You're no longer pressing into the closeness that he offers to us because of what Jesus has accomplished in making us holy and giving us holy hands cleansing us from our unrighteousness. A depressed mindset leads to a lack of motivation. You're not going to find many depressed people that are highly motivated to accomplish anything in life because they don't see the point anymore. Like, well, it already kind of just blah. And so why put more into something that's already, they lost hope, they lost vision, they lost something forward. And that depressed mindset will cause you to be unmotivated and to be non-responsive to needs that arise. Some of it's just basic stuff, self-care. Caring for those that are around you, caring for your own space that you live in. You can always tell it's measurable when you know that someone's depressed. They're isolated. They're in a place where they're just not caring about others anymore. They can barely handle their own stuff. And this is what causes people to go into neglect. Because if you're in neglect of yourself, you're certainly going to neglect your environment and the people that are around you. We cannot afford as believers to be of a depressed mindset. It's not our portion. It doesn't belong to us. If it's, if it's what you're experiencing and what you're feeling, rebuke it. Tell it to go away and get in the word. Begin to realize what the Bible says. I mean, Proverbs 12.25 is so clear. Anxiety in your heart causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. All it takes sometimes is for you to just tune out the voices and get into the book, get into Jesus written down, and say, Lord, show me. Let the word get in you, and you'll suddenly realize, wow, that stuff's broken off, and you don't even think about it anymore. But you've got to have something that replaces all that negative stuff that the enemy is consistently putting in there through the news, through books, through everything you read, through the stuff you're sharing on social media or that gets shared to your newsfeed. It's easy to stay down. 
It's easy to stay depressed. It's easy to lose hope. But if you've lost connection to the living hope, I can tell you all it takes to get that back is to just turn to Jesus. Begin to let his words. It says, it's so simple. Look at this in two sentences. Anxiety in the heart, fear, and all these things, it causes you to be depressed and you lose hope. But then it just says, oh, but a good word makes a heart glad again. Are we people with a good word? Do you have a good word to say to people when they're dealing with stuff? Are you able to remind them that, hey, I know this hurts right now, but this is all going to work together for good. I know the one who promised it, and I've never seen him fail on a promise yet. All of a sudden, you can take someone who's just feeling this, and they feel like, tell me that again. And sometimes it takes multiple times. Sometimes it's multiple people. But we can break this stuff off with what the Word has given us to do. Psalm 94, 19 says, In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. The Lord can comfort those places that are producing anxiety, but you've got to make yourself available. You can't neglect that it's there. You have to turn towards it. You have to pick it up. You can't leave it on the ground. How do we do it? What's the ultimate? I think Philippians 4, 6 through 7 is probably the greatest answer Scripture has for this thing that's plaguing our culture and now hopelessness, anxiety. The medication for these things is just off the charts. It's competing with cancer medication, anxiety, depression. It says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious. That's not a suggestion. It's a command. You can be anxious for nothing. You know how I know? Because God told us to do it. He's never told a human being to do something that can't be done. Yes, it requires his strength. Yes, it requires his word coming out of your mouth, a good word, a God word. There's no word better than a God word. When it comes out of your mouth, it says that be anxious for nothing, but in everything. What's concerning you? Take that. That's part of everything. Take it by prayer and supplication to the Lord with thanksgiving. And let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. If you're telling me there's something in your life that's stronger than the peace of God which passes understanding, that promises to stand guard at the door of your heart, then you are in deception. You are being lied to and need to tune those voices out. Even if it's a medical professional telling you of your condition, you need to tune those voices out. And get a good word, get a God word in your lips and begin to speak these things. We heard it so clearly in the class this morning. The power of life and of death resides in the tongue. Why? The breath that we have didn't come from ourselves. That first gasp as a baby didn't come from your parents. It came from the atmosphere. Where did the atmosphere come from? When God spoke and it existed, and then he took a piece of it and he breathed it into his own lungs and he breathed it into a pile of clay called Adam. And Adam became a living soul. And that same breath is the breath you grab when they smack your butt and you go, (gasps) and you cry. And that breath still has power to form words, to breathe, to say truth, or to do the opposite because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Fear comes by hearing, by hearing the word of the enemy. I love that the Bible has answers. I love that it doesn't just say, don't neglect your salvation. It tells us exactly how to stare clear of the things that would cause us to neglect our salvation. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. If that ever hits your spirit and you realize that he cares for you, like 100%, like you don't have to wonder, because sometimes we go through things and we're like, God, do you even care? But when you realize that his word says that he cares for you, Peter knew. Peter went through a whole bunch of rubbish and he ended up 
tortured to death, apparently being crucified upside down. He knew what it was like to suffer for declaring the gospel of truth. And yet he says, cast all your care on him because I know he cares for you. Because he knew that he cared for him, even in what he went through. He knew the caring of God was not, was, was there. And that he was bringing him to a place that was going to blow his mind forever. And he's still in a place of glory that he'll never be able to process or understand because that's the nature of who our God is. He's given us this little experience here to see who will choose him, who wants to be saved, and who doesn't even care enough to devote the time to understand what it is to be saved. And if we neglect what he's provided, the end is not good. Close with 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. It says, but you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. But I don't have enough faith. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. You can fix that. I hear people say, I don't have enough faith. You can fix that. Jesus written down can fix that. We've got to follow the recipe. It's, it's here. We've got it. You can't neglect a recipe and then complain about what comes out of the oven. I mean, there are some recipes that I've gotten and it's like, sheesh. They just don't work. You're like, somebody did this as a prank. Because <laughs> it doesn't look anything like the picture, and you realize they probably, probably AI or something just wrote this recipe and sent it out there and doesn't, you know, <laughs> missed a couple ingredients or got the numbers wrong and how much you're supposed to use. I've, I've experienced those. Sometimes the recipe can be wrong, but God's recipe is not wrong. There's no fault in the creator's recipe for how to find a connection to him in that connection. We don't neglect We'll look at it next week. I don't have time to talk about it now, but when you neglect your salvation, people suffer. When people neglect their pets, the pets suffer. They're dependent upon you. We depend on our salvation. Without our salvation through Jesus Christ, we don't have a leg to stand on when it comes time to stand before that throne of judgment. We do not have a hope or a prayer other than Jesus Christ crucified in my place. Amen. And so this morning, we're going to receive communion right now. I'm just going to go ahead and ask you to find your container. Is there one extra one there? Oh, thank you. Is it okay to throw the body of our Lord Jesus Christ across the front of the stage, Charlene? I don't know. <laughs> we may need to have a special prayer for Charlene right now. Uh, I hope it didn't affect the... And so if you're careful to just get the clear bit off the top, and then just pause for a minute. The essence of what we understand from communion and why we're given it as a sacrament to do, do you know what it is? What's the primary purpose given according to Scripture? Who's, to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. One of the forms of neglect is to forget. Try forgetting someone in who's important to you, try to forget their birthday or anniversary or try to forget something that really should mean something and should be on your calendar, but for some reason, it isn't. Everybody's different. I'm not big on dates. I'm never offended if people forget my birthday. I kind of like it. Um, to forget is a form of neglect. 
And what Jesus knew about us as human beings is that we're prone to forget. And Scripture is over and over reminding us to remember, to not forget. Don't forget the ancient principles. Don't forget the law of the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. The Word of God is there to remind us. You don't need an angelic visitation every time. You just need the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through Jesus Christ. You've got enough to turn whatever's going on around. But we have to remember, we cannot forget the power that is in the broken body of Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed. There is a power here that's a spiritual power. And it brings its authority into the natural realm. And so this morning, as we're just in this place of receiving this together, I just would encourage all of us to consider what Jesus has done for you. Maybe when I, when I use the word such a great salvation, it's just sort of something that you think other people have experienced or it's for them, but you don't think you qualify or it's not for you. No, it is for you. But you've got to come humbly and ask him to show you. He'll show you. His desire is for you. He's not against you anymore. Jesus took that out of the way. He's now the advocate. He's the one that stands before the Father as our high priest and uses his own body and his own blood to petition the courts of heaven in our benefit and in our favor. And so this morning, let's just, you have the bread. Father, I thank you for this that represents your broken body given for us. That in that broken body is healing, is deliverance, is freedom from sin and from depression and from any negativity that would plague our lives. And so, Lord, this morning, we just lift this before you and we thank you for it. We remember what you accomplished. We remember the hardship that you endured. And we remember that you did it willingly, that you did it as a lamb being taken to the altar on the behalf of another. And we thank you for that in your mighty name right now. Amen. Let's receive together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just receive that healing. Just receive that touch in your mind right now. His body broken. <laughs> Didn't stay broken. It was gloriously resurrected, and we get to share in that resurrection power Amen. through faith in Jesus Christ. So now I know this is the tricky bit. You've got to get the shiny foil off the thing. Who's good at inventing things? I'm thinking there's some, there's, some money, there's some money to be made if we can invent something a little easier to get at than these. Uh... We could always pass the chalice around. Everybody could take a sip off of that. How would that, would that, how would that sit with some of the germaphobes? Probably wouldn't go for that too good, huh? All right, we'll, en we'll endure this way for now. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let's just say that together. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all unrighteousness. There's more power in the righteousness you've been given in Jesus Christ through your faith in it than all the works of the law could have ever provided. When the Apostle Paul realized that, he was so stunned that he said, everything I've learned to this point is just filthy, rotten rags. It means nothing to me compared to the righteousness that I've found in Christ through faith in the one who went there and shed his blood for me. And so as we do this now, we remember, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he's our way, that he went to the cross willingly and he shed his blood. And we know that when they poked his side, the blood and water that was left in him as a corpse spilled out upon that ground. And then one drop of that precious blood, the sinless blood of a sinless, spotless lamb, is the ability to forgive a planet full of sin and disease and sickness and all that is not of you. And so, Lord, right now we just, we take this, 
this representing the blood of Jesus Christ, and we just receive it by faith, knowing that you've cleansed us, that you're continuing to cleanse us, and that you will always cleanse us until that glorious day when we stand before you clean in robes of white by the sacrifice you've provided, by the way that you've cleansed us through the act on that cross. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks and we remember. Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just stand together this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just have a closing word of prayer. Lord, we know that when we look to your word for truth, you warned us that there would be those forces that would come and try to take those seeds of truth, the seeds that are your word, that there would be things, there would be cares of this life, there could be birds of the air, there could be lies that would come to try to discredit the truth of what your word tells us. But Lord, we know one thing, that you've promised to look over your word and that what your word is sent out to do when it falls on good soil, that you look over it to produce what is needed to be produced. Lord, this morning, I pray that there would just be a, an encouragement in all of our hearts that when we don't know what to do, we know the one who knows what to do. When the world doesn't know where to go to find answers, we know the one who is the answer. Lord, we pray that you'd solidify that reality in our hearts right now. For those of us that struggle with doubt and have questions, we pray, Lord Jesus, that your presence would come in just override, just overrule those things that we think are so important that we have to know before we can trust you. And that we would just start by faith and just trust you first. And then over time, as we follow you, that we would trust you to bring answers to some of those questions because so many times you do. But it needs to start with faith, Lord. I know that you said it takes a childlike faith to really enter into the kingdom. And Lord, that's challenging for some of us. And Lord, I just pray this morning that we would be up for that challenge. To say, I've seen enough to know that he's good. I've seen enough of what's happened in other people's lives to know that he's trustworthy. And just take that risk. Take that step of faith. Take that chance that maybe you don't need all the answers first, but that you could come to know a loving Savior who in his presence, he'll either wash those questions away or he'll bring some answers to you that you'll be so grateful for. But don't wait any longer. Father, we thank you that you are the good shepherd, that you draw near those who are far away. Lord, I just sense a drawing of your spirit on those who have been at the, at the outer edges, that you're just drawing them into the flock, fully in, on the right side of the fence, in fellowship, in a place where they know they're loved and accepted in the beloved who is you, Jesus. God, by your spirit, these things are possible. In the flesh, we can't do them, but the unity that comes from your spirit leading us is a unity that the world cannot break apart and separate. Lord, forgive us if you've shown us this morning or anyone here of any neglect, any parts of our lives that have been neglected, that, Lord, we would have the courage to make an adjustment. And we wouldn't just be aware of the problem, but there would be an adjustment that you would empower us to make by the Holy Spirit. Where there was once non-action, there would now be action. <laughs> there would be moving towards the truth and not a shrinking away to destruction. Lord, I pray that no one in this room and no one online in the sound of my voice would be one of those who's drifting away from you, but those would be 
drawn near to you. That your peace would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. As we bring our petitions, our cares, our anxieties before you, you're the one who can separate those from us and can bring your perfect peace. It defies understanding. It defies rationale. But it's there. Lord, I thank you that you are with us, that you promised to be with us to the very end of this age. As we walk out of this room today, Lord, we know that you're with us. We trust that you're going with us and that you are abiding on the inside of us to provide light for our steps and for the steps of those who would walk with us, God. We thank you for strengthening us. We thank you for your touch on our bodies right now. And we thank you for that great sacrifice you made on that cross, your broken body and your shed blood. We praise you this morning, Jesus, because you are worthy of praise. What you have accomplished and what you've given to us is beyond our understanding, but we are committed to deepening our understanding and to pursue the gift that was given. In Jesus' name, God's people all said, amen, amen. Amen. If you could use prayer this morning for anything at all, why don't you come to the front? We have a prayer team. Glad to pray for you. Glad to encourage you. Greet someone. If you see someone you don't recognize, go ahead and fix that real quick. God bless you.